Hello everyone, thanks for coming outside me today. Today we're talking things your bow shops don't tell you, or perhaps even more finitely, things that you might not understand about bow shops that they're not going to tell you to help further your understanding of how a bow shop works and how it operates and why there seems to be a lot of animosity towards archery shops. They're either fantastic things that you would strongly recommend, they're local people, lots of time invested, you would spend a lot of your hard-earned cash there at those places, and then you hear about places that are just absolute train wrecks. And why is that the case? Why is there kind of no middle ground. Like, yeah, they're good some of the time, but some of the time they're terrible. It's always either one end of the spectrum or the other. And I want to tell tell you a few things about archery shops as someone who's worked in them before, but also has been in a lot of different archery shops and worked in the industry for a number of years now. I want to talk about some of those things today. But first, this is the very first episode of the Average Jack Archery Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. The response to this podcast was absolutely overwhelming. I could not believe the number of people that wanted to listen to the podcast. It has just been such a fantastic uh, first response. In the first week, we had over 35 states represented in just the first week of people wanting to sign up, as well as five international countries outside of the U.S., so I could not be more pleased and more tickled. Thank you so much uh, for all of you that want to be a part of it. And if you would like to be a part of this Average Jack Archer podcast, which is focused on the average guy, you at home listening to this podcast right now or driving to work in your truck, you want to be part and have your voice heard about your experience and your life in archery and archery hunting and all sorts of things with the outdoors and conservation, hunting elk and whitetails and everything, this podcast is designed for you. It's not for me to bring in all of these industry professionals, although there will be some on the podcast for sure. I want this to be devoted to the people that make this industry what it is, and that is you at home. So if you want to be part of the podcast and you want to represent your state and your archery styles and your hunting styles and the type of game that you pursue, go to averagejackarchery at gmail.com. Send me an email there, or you can hit me up at averagejackarchery uh, on Facebook or Instagram. You can even leave a comment on my YouTube videos. Reach out to me. That email will be the quickest way, but those other platforms will work as well, and we'll get in communication, and hopefully we can get you on the podcast, and you can join in part of the fun. So now let's dive right back into the topic at hand today. I wanted to make a video about this topic, about things that you might not understand about a bow shop, but it would just be quite a long one and quite a boring one, quite frankly. And so I figured in podcast form, it would be perfect as something that I've wanted to do for quite some time, but I haven't been able to piece together. So let's talk about things that you don't understand about a bow shop that really formulate what a bow shop is as its core in terms of its nuts and bolts and how it operates and why you at home at your local shop either have a fantastic experience or quite frankly a terrible one because I, I just don't hear about that kind of 50-50 split. It's either I really trust them or I really don't and that saddens me that you can't trust your bow shop but I know why that's the case. So Thing number one you have to understand, we probably have about six or seven ideas here, things to, to cover today. The first one you have to understand about an archery shop is that just like every other business, it is a retail business. And you're like, well, no, duh, they sell things in a storefront, like, duh, that, that's a retail business. But what, what people don't think about with retail business, and I've worked in the restaurant and retail business almost my entire life until I became a school teacher teaching English to middle school, is that restaurants, grocery stores, clothing stores, they are all retail. 
in one way or another, and they are all reliant on high volume of sales. You have a very low profit margin, but you're, you're so you're based on high volume and high turnover. I mean, the more customers you bring in and the more customers that keep having to return, you can get away with having a low profit margin, right? So take a grocery store, for example, right? They're going to sell bananas and they'll just take bananas because they're super inexpensive, like 50 cents a pound, right? For bananas. And you know that your cost of your offset, your margin, you know, what you're actually paying for that to be in your store versus how much your customers are paying for those to take that produce home, you know, it's low, right? It's nothing amazing. It's pennies on the dollar. But if you're literally pushing out hundreds of thousands or millions of pounds of bananas out of your grocery store, that dollar adds up in a hurry. But if you're in an archery shop, your high volume of customers and your high turnover of customers just isn't there like it is with a grocery store or a clothing business or a restaurant, right? You're They're bringing in hundreds of thousands of people by the week, by the month, by the year. And in an archery shop, you're just not getting that. It's a very seasonal business, right? You think about it, and particularly for you at home, it, you might even be guilty of this. You know, I shoot my bow year round. I'm constantly needing things. I might need new arrows. I might need new knocks because I'm breaking them during the indoor season or during the 3D. But you at home, you know that you basically only use your bow from maybe July through December. And then from January to April, May, June, it sits in the case. So you're only purchasing things for your bow from July until probably actually really the beginning of the season is when you're purchasing things. And as someone who has worked in an archery shop for several years, it is 100% the case. You see those people come in last minute. They're coming in in August. They're coming in September. Here in Pennsylvania, our season opens up first week of October. They're coming in those last few weeks, they're buying what they need, and then they're going home. And that's it. You don't see them again until next year. Whereas, you know, you could visit your favorite restaurant once a month or once every other week, and you're constantly giving that restaurant that high turnover and that high volume, even though their profit margin isn't great on the food that they're making or the, the products that they're selling, but they have a much higher volume and a much higher turnover. The archery business is exactly the same way. It is a much lower profit margin. You know, you're making 20 to 30% markup and actually a lot less in the archery industry. And we'll get to that here in a little bit, but then you're having a much smaller customer base. What that means is that archery shops aren't millionaires, unless they're the big ones, um, like the one out in Oregon, like the Bow Rack, uh, or uh, you know, some like Lancaster, or some of the other big names, Three Rivers Archery out in Indiana. Those are the big ones that everybody knows about, and they're selling millions and millions of dollars worth of product. But in terms of what you actually then have to turn around and pay your customers on a small scale, like my local shop here in PA or local shops around the country, it really hurts. It's a struggle. So you'll see a lot of these archery shops. They're either really small and it is a side job. The owner actually has a full-time job elsewhere. And so the archery shop is their side job because they, they are playing a, a very tightrope balance game between making not enough money to support them, but not too much that it's, you know, tips them over in a tax bracket, right? They're trying to make supplemental income. And that's one side of the shop. And those guys, because they're not having such a high turnover and a high volume, and they have a very low profit margin and a very low overall annual sales rate, they can spend a lot of time usually with you. Okay, it's one guy, maybe it's one guy and a helper, and they are the meat and potatoes of that shop. They're not experiencing a high level of volume like you would with Lancaster or Three Rivers or the Bow Rack out west. 
those guys are the lifeblood of the archery industry. And those are the ones where people go, I have such great experience with my local shop because it's just a guy and his son or a guy and his wife or so something like that, a guy and one other employee, and they devote so much time to what we do. Yeah, that's because he has another job. Most of the time, those guys have another job, seven to three, eight to four, nine to five, something like that. And then they have evening hours and their weekend hours are long. And that's the way our archery shop kind of runs. But our archery shop here in PA, we are actually part of a whole sporting goods store. And this is the other small guy in the archery. So you might not think they're small because they're part of a sporting goods store, but it's a family owned business. But the archery industry does not, or the archery shop does not keep that sporting goods business afloat. It just doesn't. Um, it, sure, that we're they're making you know good money and good sales turnover, but it's two guys that work there. I'm just there kind of as seasonal help. And the place that really drives the income for that store is the uh, they have a, a screen printing and embroidery, and they do hundreds of thousands of orders, uh, or at least of, of pieces of product a year. Uh, you know, for your local little league team and the YMCA and the, uh, this event and this event and so on and so forth, they ship all over the area. And so that is you know a, a much higher volume, even though your profit margin is lower, but that's a much higher volume, right? So they're the ones really keeping that business afloat. The archery shop within the shop is not keeping that whole business running. I can guarantee you on that. And that's where the small guys, like our shop, if you ever ask anybody about our shop, which is uh, Jim Sports Center here in Clearfield, PA, people will tell you we love gyms, right? That's just kind of the thing because we are smaller. We have the time and the availability to devote to your uh, you as the customer and your time because it's a small turnover. It's a lower volume, even though during the busy season, we do get pretty, uh, pretty swamped, obviously, but it's not nearly as big as say Lancaster, Three Rivers and the Bow Rack, right? So we can devote all that time and energy because we have a little bit more time than those places do. So then on the other side, you have your big box stores and your a little bit larger shops and they don't have the time. They just don't have the time, effort, and energy to devote to you because they are getting swamped. But they still have the same problem. They still have the low mar profit margin, and they still have a relatively low turnover rate. And this comes into the second point here that I'm going to make here in a second. But these, these other archery shops, they're also not millionaires. They're just not. There's no millionaire in the archery industry. And if they are, they are incredibly few and far between because your profit margins aren't great. Your turnover is not nearly amazing. Like I said, you know, it's really much that July to December time frame, And then the other five months out of the year, you quote unquote starve. That's just kind of what it is, right? Levi Morgan can only shoot at the major shoots, right? Vegas in the wintertime and then, you know, Lancaster and then a couple of 3D tournaments. But during hunting season, there are no major shoots. Right. So the in in that terms of of him potentially taking a paycheck, he can't take any home, uh, take home any other paychecks during that hunting season. Now, he has other ways of making money, of course, but archery and archery hunting and the archery shop is such a seasonal place that it's not like a restaurant. It is not like, a, you know, like your your clothing stores or um, any other type of grocery store. You just don't have that high turnover, that yearly high volume, high turnover, because it's just not a necessary thing that you need all year. So this brings me to number two. When it comes to your grocery stores and it comes to your clothing stores, right, your labor that you are employing there is low. 
right? $7.25 an hour, eight bucks an hour, because your labor skill set is low. And that's just what it is. And you're, you're making a lot of money because you have a high volume, even with that low profit margin, but you don't need a very high skill set labor force to put bananas on a rack or to fold a t-shirt and put it on the clothing rack. You just don't need it. So that's why we see a lot of the high school kids, teenagers, college students just looking to get by, have a little bit of extra cash in their pocket while they're going to school, that sort of stuff. And that is fine. And that model has worked for decades, for centuries here, in particular in the United States. And so you can have an unskilled labor force because your work that you have at those retail locations, even at a restaurant to some extent, even though, you know, it can be a high stress, uh, it might be better to have, you know, in certain situations, you have to have 18 and over to serve certain foods. You can have a pretty unskilled labor force and pay them relatively low, right? You know, minimum wage, maybe eight, maybe nine bucks an hour. It's not a whole lot for that unskilled labor. You take that same retail model to an archery shop and it just does not apply, right? So you, this is where you get the poor service and the poor educated Botex, um, the guys that are actually working on your bow versus the shops where you get great experience and you get great performance. So if you go to a big box store, everybody complains about, you know, well, it's a 16-year-old making $7.25 an hour. He has no idea what he's doing. Yeah, of course he has no idea what he's doing. He works in a retail business and he's 16 years old. That's how a retail business works. The archery shop is not making the money in that, you know, you go into a Shields or a Dick Sporting Goods or Field and Stream or something like that. That 16-year-old is not making the money, right? The money's being sold in the workout equipment, the golf equipment, the kayaking, the boating, the camping, the other sports equipment, baseball, softball. That's where the money's being made, right? They are not paying that kid $7.25 an hour to be the next Levi Morgan, they're just not doing it. They don't expect him to know. They expect him to enjoy the outdoors and be able to maybe put a peep into a string or maybe if you're lucky, he can uh, put an arrow into a saw without screwing it up. But his job is just basically to be the warm body at the counter, just like his counterpart is the warm body out folding t-shirts and putting them on the Nike rack. It's the same deal. Okay, but they can get away with it because they're a big box store, but they can't get away with that model when they work in an archery specific shop. And this is where people struggle to understand why they're getting poor service in a lot of these cases. You, it's really hard in the archery industry if you're a standalone shop to have highly skilled labor that you're paying and continue to make a profit, right? So I'm just going to take myself, for example, right? I would consider myself a pretty highly skilled laborer in the archery industry. I've been working on bows for forever. I know a lot about bows, you know, and I'm at an age in my life, right? I'm pushing 30, you know, I'm making good money being a teacher. I have a full-time job, health benefits, all that sort of stuff. You can't pull me away from that job and pay me $7.25 an hour to work on bows. You're going to have to pay me 15, 20 bucks an hour, probably at least. And this is the case with a lot of guys that might be in my age or guys that are really educated on how to work on bows and how to tune arrows and do all that sort of stuff. You can't get away with paying them $7.25 an hour as a standalone bow shop because your profit margin, like this goes back to number one, your profit margin is so low. You're already not making a whole lot of money in terms of your retail value because you're only selling stuff for really about seven, eight months out of the year. So you can't turn around and then pay this guy for 12 months out of the year, 15, 20 bucks an hour, because you already can't, you're already not making a whole lot of money to begin with. And so this is why you see a lot of unskilled 
quote-unquote uneducated guys working behind the archery counter is because they don't have the time and the money to pay to educate this guy. He's got to learn on the fly because they can't hire a guy such as myself who already knows all of this stuff because they can't pay him and continue to turn around a profit, right? If I worked an eight-hour day at $20 an hour, right, I'm just, you know, a couple quick seconds of math here, you're already talking 160 bucks. $160 is almost the profit margin you make on one bow sale. That's right. I said it, and I'm not going to actually give actual numbers, but the actual profit you make on a bow sale is around two to 250, maybe $300 what an archery shop is actually making on a bow sale. They're not making 30%, right? 40, 50%, right? So in one day, you have to pay me the sale of one bow. And if you're not selling bows from January to May, when are you going to, you just lost all of that money. So to pay a highly skilled laborer, you just can't get away with that as a standalone bow shop. And so that's why you see good service at other places. We'll talk about that in a second, but you don't get it at, at standalone shops. And you have that 17, 18 year old kid, no idea what he's doing. Maybe he's a friend of the family. He's making minimum wage and he just knows how to use the aerosol and make sure that your bow isn't going to explode when you leave the shop, but he's not going to be that highly skilled laborer because they just simply can't afford that. If they do afford that, the guy is doing it out of the goodness of his own heart, or he's a seasonal helper and they don't have to pay him year round. So this then comes to why you get really good service at certain shops. The shops that a lot of people get really good service at are family-operated businesses. These are where the, the son or daughter, the niece, nephew, that sort of stuff, they're working in the shop, and that's just what they do because they're family. The guy that's behind the counter that runs or manages the archery side of things, he's been doing it for 20, 30, 40, in some cases even 50 years, and they really don't have a retirement plan. Okay, but their money and their and the side gig that they have, or maybe they even already are retired, and this is now just their retirement slush fund, <laughs> you know, their gas money, or you know, they could take their wife out on a really nice vacation somewhere. That's why they continue to run the archery shop. They don't need the money, but since they don't need the money, they can invest all the time. And they can have that low turnover, uh, that that low profit margin, but they don't care. They don't have to care. Their investment is the time. Right. And this is where people see the really good service. These family run businesses where the employees really aren't getting paid because they are part of the family. And since they are part of the family, they have grown up for 20, 30, 40 years in the archery industry and they've seen everything. These people have seen the changeover from aluminum to carbon and all the arrows. They've seen everything from the old wheel bows, trad bows up to now. They know how to work on everything and their investment is your time. Right. They're they're not interested because they know they they are fully aware that it is a lower volume, lower profit margin, lower turnover. And they know they need you to keep coming back. Right. Archery shops are predicated and built on people coming back. We need you to come back when you have to get new arrows next year. We want you to come here and not make an online sale, online purchase. When you need your bow tune, we want you to come here instead of driving a half hour the other direction. They are predicated upon people coming back year after year after year or every couple of months to replenish what they might need field points arrows that sort of stuff because that builds that relationship and there's a lot of stuff in those shops that gets given away for free in terms of the labor or oh you know what you, we, we installed that peep for you that's usually a six seven dollar peep you know you just have it for free you come back anytime we'll help you out there's a lot of that i heck i do that out of my own house right i don't charge anybody 
to do random odds and in work, you know, friends and, and, and local people like that here where I live, because, you know, if they need help, I want them to be able to rely on me and say, hey, they did good. Uh, to me, you know, they were good for me last time I visited them and last time I did work. And that's what those bow shops where you get that high quality experience are based upon. They know they're not making the money, right? They're not interested in making the money. They're interested in keeping their customers to keep returning because they know they're not going to be millionaires, but they know that there is no business in the archery business that survives without customers continuing to come back year after year. So that's kind of the first three big ideas here. Then I'll just recap very quickly. One, it's a retail business. I've said it like 4 million times already. Low profit margin, but they have a low turnover of sales. It's not a grocery store. It's not a restaurant. So that means they're not making a whole lot of money for point number two. They can't afford to skill labor. They can't afford to pay a guy who's been trained in the industry and pay him 15, 20, 25 bucks an hour because they would literally go uh, employee broke, you know, trying to pay that guy to keep him around as a 40 hour worker. So that leads to number three. It's either a family business where you're getting that continuous you know, unpaid labor because that's the family. That's just who they are. That's how they run. There's a lot of those shops, even local to me here in PA, and they know that they need their customers to come back. So that's one side, or you get the big box store. And that's where a lot of people have that poor experience or even a local shop where it's one guy and he needed to hire somebody to help him out in a high volume time of the season. Cause you know, that volume is really from July to December and he does not have the money and time to pay a guy who's skilled or train a guy so hard on the job and then pay him 15, 20 bucks an hour. So that's where you see a lot of that disparity in terms of the actual work that you get when you come out of the shop. So this leads me to number five. And this, I come away from the actual retail business and, you know, the skilled labor and the family and the money that's involved there. But when it comes to number five and, and five, six, and seven, these are things that for me, that works in an archery shop and has seen a lot of people in archery shops and know a lot of owners of archery shops. These are things that don't have to deal with you as the customer, but are things that we see each and every single day as the owners and operators in the shop that we know is going on and that is overhead and things that we have to think about that you have no idea as a customer because you don't ever have to worry about it. So number five is there is a boatload of lost money sitting in products on shelves. And this is partially, in some cases, some shop's fault, but also in certain cases, just the fault of how archery is and how the archery industry has worked. So let's start with how it could potentially be the shop's fault. And this is why, of course, you don't have to worry about it. But then the other half is something you probably should start to think about in the coming years when you go into a shop to buy things or to get your bow worked on. When it comes to an archery shop, Archery shops, in particularly now in, in 2020, with how everything changes and what people enjoy and what people don't enjoy in the archery industry, there are certain things that we buy. We're like, yeah, this is going to be a hit, but you don't really know what's going to be a hit, right? But you have to still buy it. So, for example, uh, if you think about certain bow companies, right, you know, Matthews has a cross-centric cam system. Hoyt's always kind of do things with their hybrid cam system. Elite now has the new ASIM tri-track cam technology, which I'm absolutely loving. Uh, there's a lot of different, you know, primes now doing, you know, these big giant rings and part of their split loke in a, in a rotating module, all this sort of stuff. And as a bow shop, you either have to buy it because you're a dealer and you have to keep up product inventory for that shop, or you want to dive into that new brand because you think think it'll sell. You could potentially go out and buy $10,000 worth of bows and sell two of them. 
And now you're literally sitting there with money on the shelf that is just immediately depreciated in value the moment it left the factory before it even got to your shop. But now it's just every single ticking of the clock is losing money on the shelf. And you're trying to sell it, you're you're trying to offload it at a reasonable price, but you just can't. And it just sits there and sits there. It eats up shelf space, it eats up time, and it just eats up money because you know, and it eats at you because you know that in the past, you bought that expecting it to sell. It didn't sell. And it was money that you lost in an already low profit margin type of industry and type of business. So that's something. And it's not just Bose, right? Uh, this is the other part here, too, uh, in terms of the lost money that that sits on shelves is that it's it's the sites, it's the releases. You know, you, there are certain things that come out and, and we think they might be good or companies uh, release and dealers have to purchase in order to put on their shelves. And depending on the market and depends on who's interested, uh, just no one buys. You know, I live in an area where the Whisker Biscuit and the Fixed Pin site is king. You know, we don't live out west here in Pennsylvania, right? We don't have a lot of slider site shooters compared to out west or in other parts of the Midwest or Midwestern states. There's a lot of Whisker Biscuit and uh, multi-pin shooter guys that come into our shop. So that means we got dropaways on our shelves galore that people don't buy. We have all different types of hybrid pin and three, five, seven pin sites that people just are not interested in our area. And that's that's not anything against the manufacturers. They're producing great sites and they're producing great rest. That's nothing against us as a shop in terms of how we treat our customers because I think we have you know, a really great customer service at this shop I work at. It's a family-owned business and has been for many, many years. It's just the fact that our demographics of the people that buy that equipment are not interested. So that's just lost money that's just sitting on the shelf, and it just sits there. And I know because I've sat there, you know, in a downtime, just stared at the wall and got thought, oh, my gosh, how much money here is just sitting on this wall waiting for someone to buy, and no one has purchased it. So that leads me to the second part of number five here, which is you as the customer, you know, and this is true, it's something that I even have, right? You as a customer, unlike with your grocery store purchase, right? You need to go buy milk every single week or every two weeks because it's going to go bad, right? It's going to go bad eventually. Same thing with fresh produce, right? You need to go buy new bananas because you either eat them and consume them or they're going to go bad and you got to chuck them before you get fruit flies all through your house. That is not the case with archery equipment. It's a lot more hearkened to things um, like uh, hardware sales and things in the clothing market. Now, in clothes, of course, fashions change and that sort of stuff. And of course, in hardware, things break and you have to return to more buy new ones. But in archery, if you don't break it yourself, it's always going to work, right? So when you sell somebody a release and a site and a stabilizer, He's never going to buy another release site or stabilizer unless he breaks that or it doesn't work for him, right? My lawnmower is eventually going to fail. It's going to break and I'm going to have to replace it. But my stabilizer on my bow, unless I snap it in half, my archery shop is never going to see a sale for a stabilizer from me again. Unless my release blows up or I really want to try a different type of release, and I'm shooting an index style, which is the most common, my archery shop is never going to see a sale of a release from me again. They'll sell me one release and that'll be it. It's not like a grocery store where every two weeks I have to go buy milk and every two weeks I have to go into my archery shop and buy a new release. It could be a decade before I buy another site stabilizer release system. I know, and you know, for me, of course, it's not gonna be a decade. I'm such a tinkerer. I try new stuff all the time. But for the average guy who's shooting, again, that whisker biscuit fixed pin site, he goes to the bow shop once a year to buy his broadheads, buy his new arrows and what have you. 
He's not buying a new release and a new site every year. So while we're still, as an archery shop, accumulating all this new product and all these new things, you, the customers just aren't buying them because they don't need them. They don't need to replenish what they already have and what already works. And that's lost money that's just kind of sitting on the wall. Now, we do have the people that change their mind and buy new arrows you know, every month and come and buy one or two releases every year. But those guys are very few and far between, and they're not going to keep the whole business afloat. It's just not going to happen. 90 plus percent of the demographics that come in are what I've been talking about this whole episode, which is guys that come in between July and September, get their bow sided in uh, or retuned. Maybe, maybe they put new string cables on. That's not a given. Uh, maybe they, you know, they want to come in and maybe they need a new rest because their whisker biscuit wore out and they want to try this whole new quote unquote drop away fad, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and they just want to try something new. They want to try something different. But that's it. We might not see them for another couple of years. We might not see that guy for a decade. Or maybe they want to go to a different shop because they're a dealer of a different type of product we don't have. So we've lost customers for a litany of different reasons. And we just have product on the wall that's sitting there that no one's purchasing because they're not interested or they just don't need it. And that is a huge thing that people just don't understand. And I think people, if they understood that a little bit more, I think they would have a little bit more pity in particular on these shops, I my heart bleeds for these shops where they need a second hand or a third hand and they cannot afford to go out and find a guy who's really skilled. They don't have the time to train a kid that's on the spot because a 16-year-old might like a job for a week or two and then he's gone. So they're not going to put all that time, effort, and energy into training somebody if they're not going to pay them a whole lot of money because that's a disservice to that new employee, but also if they could potentially leave in literally a month or two. So I, my heart bleeds for those people because they're just trying to make a, a substantial living or a substantial secondary income, and they really struggle, and you know they get a lot of bad rap because someone comes in and their arrows aren't cut square, or their bow left and their peep was twisted, or the cams weren't in time, or they cracked a limb because they didn't know how to use a bow press correctly. Just all the horror stories that you hear, and my heart bleeds for those people because they're just really put between a rock and a hard place, and there's just nothing they can do about it, just kind of because of how the industry is. Is. So this leads me to my sixth out of seven uh, thing. And, and number six deals with the bow shop. But number seven has to deal with you uh, at home as the archer. Number six, we can't at a bow shop, whether, and this is true, you know, because I've worked with a lot of kids that are kids, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old that work in bow shops that make that minimum wage. We can't take all the time we wish we could take with you, with your bow or your arrow setup or your tuning process. And this has become more and more prevalent in the past year, the past two years, because there's a lot of people, myself included, obviously, on the YouTube scene and in forums and that sort of stuff that are showing you how to tune. And guys are watching uh, people like Garrett Prawl from the DIY Sports, and they're watching Troy Fowler, they're watching the Honey Public, and they're watching my videos, and, and they see things you know, where they can shoot a bullet hole through paper and they're just, their mind is blown and they want to be able to do that. And then they go to their local shop and their local shop doesn't give them what they feel is the time of day, right? Well, that's because in a YouTube video, it's just you and me, right? If you're watching my tuning videos, you know, one of my big ones that I posted recently was about the Elite Cure, setting it up from box to bullet hole. That thing was 45 minutes long. And I had over an hour and a half of raw footage of that uh, with all the B-roll and all the cuts and all the retakes, that was 45 minutes that you and I, you know, quote unquote, on YouTube can sit down and talk together. A bow shop might have half hour 
40, 45 minutes if you're lucky. If you're going in and buying a brand new bow and they're setting up, you might get that hour, hour and a half with it. But as you, if you watched my videos and you know, you learning that new bow in that first hour, hour and a half, you, that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? You could go home and play with that bow for weeks before you feel comfortable and you can start that tuning process. So the archery shop doesn't have hours to sit down in their range with you and paper tune and do all that sort of stuff because you're not even prepared to use that equipment properly because you just bought it right? They have other customers to deal with. They have inventory to work on. And in particular in that busy season, which like I said, is from July to September. If you come into my shop or not my shop, but the shop that I work at in August and September, we put up signs that say, if there is a person in line, you have to leave your equipment here, right? Or you're waiting for several hours potentially for us to get caught up on refletching arrows and, and tuning bows that are, have already been on the shelf, things that we've just gotten strings and, and cables in for, other products, mod changes, everything else that already was in front of you, that already came ahead of you. We don't have the time to stop everything that we're doing and immediately invest it in you so you can shoot a ranch ferry bullet hole or an average jack archery paper tune system. We have some time, sure, and we need you to be coming back as a customer because that's what archery shops are predicated on. But we just don't have the time that we wish that we could invest. And if you watch um, Stephen Hand from Australia with Archery Supplies on his YouTube channel, if you watch some of his videos where he talks about how much time he spends with customers, he'll spend an hour, an hour and a half, and he will tell you that it's too much. It's, it's more than he feels comfortable with or his other employees feel comfortable with because while he's doing that for an hour and a half, he's doing nothing else. There could be other, there'd be dozens of other customers that could come in during peak times for during that hour and hour and a half, and he can't help them do simple things very quickly. And that's the case with all these archery shops. We just can't take all the time. We wish we could. I wish every single person that I worked at at my shop that came in, I could sit down for two to three hours with those people and get them perfectly tuned, perfectly set up, their draw legs perfect, their peak weight's perfect, the arrow's knocked tuned, their broadheads are flying perfect with their field points at 20 yards. I mean, just everything. I really wish I could, but I can't because my job is to continue to help all the people that come into that shop to sell product, help boost those profit margins during our peak times in particular because this is a business first, this is a moneymaker first, and it is a helpful resource for those repeat customers second. So that's just something that I just wanted to kind of get off my chest in that regard, that we wish we could take more time. We really do, but we just can't because we're running a business. We're part of a business. We're not that guy on YouTube like myself, like Troy, like Garrett, where you can sit down and replay us over and over and over again, where you can send us an Instagram message at one o'clock in the morning because I get those every single day and I still try to respond if I'm awake. I mean, that sort of stuff, you just can't get that at an archery shop because they're a business first, another thing second. So this leads me to number seven, and then we'll wrap up here with episode one. But the seventh thing has to do with all you. And this is something your bow shop won't tell you because they're being nice and they're a business and they need you to come back as a repeat customer. But number seven, we know what you did to your bow. Don't lie to us. Please don't. And particularly if you give it to somebody who's been running a shop for a while and you're not handing it to that 16-year-old who's working for $7.25 an hour, don't insult their intelligence. If you bring me a bow and I see there's two identical marks on the underside of the limb and I see that your cam is scuffed up and you're like, yeah, I was just shooting it and, and like my limb splintered. No, it didn't. You pulled the bow back slightly, stuck a screwdriver and Allen key in here to try to press it because you saw some guy on YouTube do it. That's what you did. I know what you did. 
Oh, well, my string derailed when I drew it back. Oh, are you shooting a mechanical release? Well, yeah, but I think I torqued the D-loop. I've been shooting for almost 17 years, and never once have I derailed a string because I torqued the release. You drew this back with your hand, twisted the string, and you derailed it, and a half-drive fired. Don't insult... <laughs> I mean, seriously, don't insult our intelligence. We know what we're doing. We have seen, those of us that have been around for a while in particular, we've seen everything. We've seen bows from the 1980s brought in with steel cables on like four different pulleys. We've seen it all, okay? We know what a cut string looks like versus one that's frayed over time. We know what a dry fired bow looks like compared to one that just derailed. We know what it looks like when you do something stupid like stick an Allen key or a screwdriver through the cam to try to press it because you were too lazy to bring it into the shop to have it done right and pay the 20 bucks for us to fix it for you, okay? We know. <laughs> we know what you did. And this also is not necessarily negative. I know I'm making fun of you because I there are probably some of you out there that have done this sort of try to play hide and seek with your local archery shop to try to get a warranty claim filled out instead of just admitting what you did. But this is also true for things that we know what's happening to your bow probably better than you do. And particularly if it's a new bow to you or you're a new shooter. Um, you know, it's funny. We'll, we'll have a lot of people that come in and this is true in, in, in almost every different aspect. You know, doctors will tell you this all the time because someone Googled their symptoms. They know more than the doctor, you know, that sort of stuff. Just because you went online and you watched a, you know, a video from somebody, this includes me. I'm not, I'm not, um, uh, uh, removing myself from this situation. This includes me as well. There are certain situations where what you saw on YouTube doesn't apply to what you're doing, right? So, for example, you know, you might think, oh, with bear shaft tuning or broadhead tuning, I need to do this. Well, in reality, you're actually getting fletching contact on your cables and you need to do the opposite and to tune a different way. And you won't know that unless you have an experienced eyeball. Take a look at it. So don't come in and tell us, well, this actually happened when it didn't because we know. And try, if you can, just like your doctor at your doctor's office, try not to tell us how to do our job. In particular, if you've been doing it a long time. Because trust us, we've seen it all. Uh, it's it's very uncommon that you bring, so, although it does. I mean, I've seen random things. Trust me. I Heck, I just saw something random uh, just the other week that I hadn't seen ever. And if I did see it in the past, I'd never seen it in such a manner as this one. I had to deal with a rest tuning issue. But... It was a very bizarre situation, but 90 plus percent of the things that I see that are normal or tuning issues or bow issues or cut strings or derailed cams and everything, we know what happened. We really do. Uh, those of you that shoot crossbows, it could be a little bit different because there's a lot of intricacies with those instruments that aren't the same uh, when it comes to a compound. But if you're a compound shooter and you bring me something and you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't, it was just in the case and it blew up. I just don't know. Don't lie to me. I know what you did. You drew it back without an arrow to show off your muscles to your girlfriend, accidentally hit the release and blew up your bow. It's fine. Just admit it. We'll have a good chuckle about it. <laughs> we'll have a good chuckle about it. We'll fix your bow. We'll get it right. And, and hopefully get you back up and running for archery season. So that's the last thing. We know what you did to your bow. And that's one through seven of things that your bow shops won't tell you or things that you don't understand about your bow shop. I hope that it's kind of informative for you, a little tongue-in-cheek in certain ways. But it's just something that's, that, that weighs on me a lot because I see a lot of things, negativity on Facebook groups and other forums, social media posts where they had a poor experience at their local shop. And I want to kind of shed some light 
wanted to shed some light on those things because I think a lot of them get a bad rap when really they're trying their best. They really are. And I hope that these seven things, one, being a retail business, two, skilled labor, but it has to be cheap labor. Three, it's either that family business or that big box store and all the intricacies there. Uh, Number four, and this was molded into number three, that no one's a millionaire. Uh, working in the archery industry, they're not there to nickel and dime you. They're either there to try to scrape by making an honest to God living, or it's their secondary uh, income. They have a real job or they're retired. And and this is just their retirement income. Uh, number five, uh, with all the money that's sitting on shelves and things that don't get sold, or those customers that don't come back for a decade because they're happy with the equipment that they have, and they just don't shoot that often. You know, probably the biggest, one of the biggest sales we have at my shop is things that we have to have repeat customers for is targets right? Because they just shoot their targets. They don't need new arrows. Their arrows are fine. Their bow's fine. The rest is fine. Release is fine. But the target wears out. So that's just another thing that there's a lot of money and products sitting on shelves that we know that we might not even sell. Uh, number six, we can't take all the time that we wish we could. We really wish we could spend hours and hours with people, at least in my case. I, I guess I can't speak for everybody. But in my case, I really wish I could get everybody shooting perfect bullet holes and have perfect broadhead flight and so on and so forth every time they left the shop. But we just can't take the time for that because we're a business first and we have to get all of our customers in as many as we can in a day. And then last, number seven, we know what you did to your bow. Don't try to lie to us. We're fully aware of what you did. And I know it's a little tongue in cheek. and I know it might jab a few people, hit them in a little sore spot. But be honest honest with this because that also helps us diagnose just like your doctor if you're not going to honestly tell us what's wrong with you as a doctor in a medical field and then it's really hard for us we have to run a litany of tests and waste our time same thing's true with the bow if you have no idea what happened then we're going to have to run the full gauntlet to try to fix it or you can just tell us what happened and it'd be a much quicker fix and we'll be a lot happier with you as a business so that's all for episode one of the Average Jack Archie podcast. I am so tickled that you joined me today and listened to the ramblings of right now over 40 minutes of just a guy sitting here in front of his laptop. I really appreciate it. Again, if you want to be part of the Average Jack Archery podcast, if you have other topics and questions you would like to see just me cover in a podcast instead of in a video form, hit me up again at AverageJackArchery at gmail.com. You can again go to my social media platforms, Average Jack Archery. That's Facebook, Instagram, and of course, YouTube. You can leave a comment there as well. Hope you're able to get outside, enjoy the sport of archery, archery hunting if you so choose. Definitely enjoy God's beautiful creation, and we'll get to see you next time.